Hi, I'm Tyler Steinbach. I'm Nicole LeCount. And I am Serafina Gordon, and we would like to welcome you to the Humanizing Homelessness Podcast. We offer you a new view of our community through the eyes of those experiencing homelessness, their pain, their loss, and the stories they hold. We examine their past, current, and future positive impacts on our communities. Brought to you by the Hope Health Alliance's Dignity Center and the Missoula Behavioral Health Local Advisory Council. We are here today with Shannon McDonald. She is the Outreach and Resource Coordinator with Western Montana Mental Health Center. Um, she helps people that are being released from places like the Montana State Hospital and St. Patrick Hospital and the crisis houses in the area. And she helps individuals leaving those facilities to connect with resources in the community that help them navigate their recovery as they, um, after they're released. So, so yeah, so we're here to go into some fun stuff with you. Yes. Um, is there anything else that <laughs> Thanks you want for... to No, that was, that was exactly pretty much my job description. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. No Happy to have this all important discussion. It is going to be a great discussion, I have a feeling. So, all right. So we're going to start off by talking about how, um, how close all everyday Americans are to homelessness and um, just how kind of everybody, all of us are all constantly on the brink of becoming homeless ourselves. And yes. what you've kind of seen about that. Yes. Um, I, I think it's become more aware, like we were discussing um, during the pandemic, it, it kind of shined a spotlight um, that, you know, most families, most individuals are always, you know, a paycheck away. People are robbing Peter to pay Paul to pay, you know, to just continue, you know. Um, we all know that Missoula has a very high cost of living. Um, when I moved here, and, and that's not even, I mean, the pandemic has literally made that worse. <laughs> I don't know the real numbers, if it's doubled, it's really, it's hard to say, but I know that when I moved here in 2007, we're talking 14 years ago, even the cost of living for Missoula was just right behind Seattle, you know, but the pay wages um, don't keep up. They're not the same. So um, Missoula hasn't had, you know, an increase in pay or the federal minimum wage, you know, for, for far too long. So it's, I think we were, a lot of people in Missoula were feeling the effects long before the pandemic. And the pandemic has just um, increased the numbers, you know, and made it all that much more of a concern and a reality for our homeless, you know, situation that we have now. Yeah. Yeah. We, oh, it's, yeah, that the constant being on the brink, I know that I, I don't know very many people that like have even a thousand dollars in the bank to, that are just ready right. to, know, that to oh, even, oh, even $500. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even with stimulus money. I mean, there's people that, I mean, I, yeah, it's hard to do. And all yeah. it takes one situation, I mean, having a heart attack or having, you know, a bad day at work and losing your job and, you know. Or, or your car just breaking down, trying to get to work. I know, I know absolute professional people that are, you know, just trying to get to work and their cars are breaking down and they don't have, 
you know, the means um, or the income, even our professional people are not paid, you know, like they are in other parts of the country. That is something that that I, I'm not sure if all Montanians are really aware of. Um, the, the, it's the scale of pay that really makes the difference here. And then on top of it, you know, alongside of it, the high cost of living. Mm-hmm. I don't know too many people that can support themselves on their own. You know, it's um, a, a two-person income to support, you know, a place to live. Oh, yeah. You know, we have our we have our youth that are, you know, turning 18. I have a son that just turned 18. And, um, you know, the reality is the reality was here before the pandemic, but we're even farther behind in his milestones and his goals and his saving money with working to be able to move out on his own. Uh, he's going to have to have two or three roommates, you know, just to be able to live, you know, in an apartment where when I was in my youth and going out. I, I could support myself in an apartment, a two-bedroom apartment, easy, you know, um, it, it really wasn't that hard. And our rent should not be more than a third of our income. Yeah. But for so many, it is two-thirds, you know? Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, it's, yeah, lots oh. of issues there. So yeah. it's, it's just the, the crux of the problem, you know, it creates the issue, all of these things. Right. And have you, do you, what have you noticed as far as, um, like, I guess the, the population of the, the homelessness in Missoula, have you, do you, do you think it's gone up recently or do you think it's. Oh, good question, Tyler. (laughs) Um, I was not aware of the numbers before starting at Western Montana mental health. I always worked in the mental health field for many years. (laughs) I don't want to say how many, it'll age me, but a long time. And the people that I worked with were all housed. Um, So it's really opened my eyes um, to a whole other level of care that is needed. When I started at Western Montana Mental Health last year during the pandemic, um, and I started on the PATH program, you know, which stands for Projects and Assistance and Transitioning from Homelessness. So I was... um, Basically, I dove right in to seeing our homeless population, but it was during the pandemic. So I don't know what I've heard the numbers have more than doubled in just this last year. And we've all heard I I don't have the um, the the documentation or anything to back it up. But we've all heard about um, we know that this is happening, that other states are literally busing people who are homeless um, with mental health issues, SUDS issues or not, they're busing them to Missoula because they know of the fabulous resources that we have here. But it has just really overwhelmed our entire system. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, that's what I've that's what I've been um, kind of feeling just in our experience too. Is that that it just I we've been told those numbers, similar numbers, and it sure feels like it. Um, yes. Yes. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you an idea, like from what I heard the last, um, the last count, because there are people um, in, in the community and the Missoula coordinated entry system, they do go out and they literally count. <laughs> we count our numbers of people who are homeless, who are in need of services. And I, I was hearing numbers last, like apparently last year, it was just over 500 and it's well over a thousand now. In fact, I heard it was over 1100 now. So 
Um, and it continues. It continues. I'm working with people that literally just came here three weeks ago, literally just came here a month and a half ago. You know, they haven't even been in Missoula long. Yeah. And I mean, that, I mean, this leads us pretty well into our, our next topic of how, um, the perception that people have of people that are experiencing homelessness as well. Like just, you know, a lot of people think that they just, it's everybody that just doesn't want a job and they don't, but I mean, there's a yeah. lot of misperceptions with that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the comments that I've heard from people and you guys are, are very aware, you know, opening up Hope Health Alliance of the, um, the misconceptions that are there, the fear that people have in the community. I've sat in on, on meetings and, and heard, um, you know, the different businesses and the different homeowners having their fears. And I, I understand their fear and I understand the issues that they're faced with, you know, with, um, you know, it'll, it'll go into some other things like not having public rest, you know, they're coming in to use their restroom and things happen. Um, I've heard about that all through town too, um, even in my personal life, you know, going to different businesses. So, and hearing the complaints, um, that is an issue that can, you know, is working on being addressed. There are people working on addressing those issues. People talked about, you know, um, safe public restrooms, um, safe, you know, water, <laughs> access to water, um, just those, those basic human needs. Um, we're all human, homeless are not. You know, we all share this community, share this planet, and um, people tend to just have an opinion about um, someone who might be homeless, especially if they've been homeless for a while or they might look a certain way. Um, but that's really not the reality of it. I've been working with clients who um, became homeless during the pandemic who still have their job. They drive you know, a vehicle that's like a 2014 or a 2016 vehicle, newer than mine. <laughs> they are hardworking people. So a lot of my clients are still working and trying to hold down their jobs. But what people don't understand is, I mean, they, they need to think about, you know, you get up um, from your safe bed and your safe home where you can lock the doors you have everything that you need, you know, you can wake up and put on a pot of coffee or do yoga or watch the news and get your clean, you know, take a shower, <laughs> take your clean clothes out of your closet and get ready and go to work. How many people living in these houses that are complaining about our homeless population are, are, you know, they're not, I don't think they're taking that into consideration. How would they function if they didn't have that? They probably wouldn't function well. And they might pick up a substance abuse disorder. You know, it can happen very quickly. Yeah. Um, people yeah. are, like I said, you know, homeless or not, people are people. And everyone, it's a human right to serve, you know, a safe place to live. It is. Yeah, that is for sure. Uh, it's hopefully a direction we're going. <laughs> yes, yes, we're all working hard. It's, you know, it's all of you and... And we have so many partnering um, agencies and communities. I mean, Missoula really is amazing for our services, but I think we we just got overwhelmed during the pandemic. You know. Oh yeah, and I and it's just, and I think that um, there's sometimes certain topics become in the spotlight, and this is one of those things that's also just become something people have a lot, put a lot of attention on, and it just starts to make it even worse as far as people identifying, you know, their complaints. Um, yeah, 
I mean, it's hard enough. Yeah. To, you know, we've talked about like, you know, some of the, I mean, there's places in town where heck, if you bought a porta potty and put it out there, I mean, it would be, it would reduce so many problems just even putting a porta potty in a, in a place or two instead of, you know, leaving things yeah. out. I mean, there's a lot there of. There are, we think there's simple s- solutions to this. There's regulations that, you know, um, loopholes that they have to jump through to be able to provide this. There's, um, I, I have to say, you know, what what you guys are doing with Hope Alliance and the drop-in center is, you know, amazing. Um, what the TSOS has done is amazing. And um, all, all anybody needs is support. And I'm going to go back to that metaphor that, that I kind of, this is, this is how I've kind of always viewed it. It's like a baseball field. You know, some people are born on third base, you know, they have a spoon, a golden silver spoon in their mouth. You know, they have everything they need. They don't suffer for anything. They don't struggle. They have no idea. They've got great parents that, you know, help them get their first car and help them pay for college and get their apartments. And they have this leg up you know, and then there's second base, maybe the middle class, and then there's first base, and then there's people in the dugout. And then there's people like, like kids coming out of the foster care system who are even behind the dugout. They're climbing the fence to even get to the dugout. You know, they are starting life with um, very little support. And when people think about, I mean, this will go into what we were talking about with the barriers, you know, just the, the, Everyone expects, oh, you just go through life, you go through school, you know, you go to college, you get a job, you do all this, but to do any of that, you need an ID. (laughs) You need an ID to get a driver's license, to be able to transport yourself to work. You need an ID to get a job. You have to have a social security card to get a job to fill out the W-9. If you don't have that ID and you don't have that social security card, and there are so many people who were not even given their birth certificate by their parents just didn't even happen. Um, so they're starting from the very beginning of not having the initial document they need. And I have helped people get birth certificates and they can cost anywhere from $15 to $65. (laughs) If you don't have that $65 to spend, just getting the copy of your birth certificate to get your ID, you know, it's, it's limited. It's just, it, it's barriers that just need yeah, to be done away with, you know? And you talked yesterday um, when we were talking about um, the timeline to get social security cards, which I thought was, holy, that's just crazy. It sounds like it's yeah. really long. So when you add those documents up together, if you need a birth certificate, a social security card and an ID, I mean, that and just to get a job. That's just to get your right. You can't even get your ID without one. And you have to have both documents. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's impossible to get the social security card right now. Um, my colleague, which I hope you guys will also have on to interview, her name is Winnie Lohoff. Um, she literally came into the office screaming the other day because she finally received one client's social security card. And oh. she's been trying for eight months. And she, I mean, she, the, what she, the work she had to do as a case manager to go and, and, and try and advocate to get that for that individual picture, the individual homeless trying to, you know, advocate for themselves, getting that it's, it's Mm -hmm. these, these barriers need to be taken down. It should not be that difficult to get a social security card should not be that difficult or cost that much 
to get a birth certificate, you know, yeah. just to get an ID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, birth certificate, it's, I mean, and not to mention that a lot of birth certificate programs, if you say we're from another state, you got to be able to get online. Otherwise, yeah. it could take, it could also take like yeah. weeks and weeks and weeks. And the, and the oh, more- even yeah. when you go online, it, yeah. yeah, Tyler, yeah. Even when you go online and we have, you know, the, the source, you know, it's, it's, it's super random. It just really depends on the state. And I'm sure this has to do with the pandemic. I, you know, it's, I have nothing to compare it to because I was not doing this job before the pandemic. So it's, it's hard for me to say, but I'm just saying in my, my experience working with it now, it's, you know, it could be anywhere. It's just super random. Depends on the state. Oh, I think a few weeks, it could be three months. Every friend I've ever had that's been like, not had that stuff because their parents didn't get it to them or, you know, whatever the reason may be. I, I don't, I mean, it has been I, it has always been so difficult to get a birth certificate, like yeah. unless it's literally for you from Missoula, you're in Missoula, you were born in Missoula. It, then you have a little bit more, you know, easier time getting. Yeah. It. But yeah. if you're anywhere outside of even that county, you know, you gotta. It's gonna start adding up the difficulties. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, there's you know, I know that I segued into some of the barriers, but that's just, that's a barrier to getting a job. And I worked for a staffing agency before this too. Um, and, and just to kind of throw this in there too, um, when not all people who are homeless have a mental illness or a substance abuse, SUDS, I'll refer to it as SUDS, issue. You know, like I said, we have, you know, many hardworking people um, that, are still holding down their jobs, even though they're homeless. I mean, if that doesn't tell you the tenacity of, of some of these souls, I don't know what will, you know, um, I have a guy who was staying at the winter shelter and working a night job and trying to protect his fiance, um, from the winter shelter was, you know, it was a hard place to be during the winter. It was, thank God we had it. Um, but you know, it's, it's dangerous being homeless. You know, it's, it's very threatening and especially for, um, anybody with a mental illness, someone, uh, my senior citizens, I think about them all the time. I think they're the most vulnerable, you know, our senior citizens that might be dealing with a mental illness, plus they can't do their activities of daily living. You know, there's different assisted living facilities that will, um, take in a senior citizen that can't do their activities of daily living, but if they've got a serious mental illness, to go alongside that, you know, they might not be as willing to take them because of those issues. So, you know, there's, with all the beautiful supports that Missoula has, we still see gaps, you know, we still see those, those certain gaps that I'm hoping we're all talking about addressing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely the case. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, you think of like the, you were mentioning before, earlier about how, um, the, a lot of people when they're, when we're, you're hearing concerns the public has about the homeless population, that it's a lot of, there's a lot of fear. Um, I think that I would, you know, if you flip that around and think of the, the homeless person who's trying to, you know, go about their day and they don't have that secure house to go back into when they do get. Yeah. How about their fear? How about their fear? Let's think about their fear for a second. You know, when you're, when they're, they're being interacted with or how they've been treated. Um, if, if you come at them um, or they're, they're approached in, 
in a way that is just degrading um, and dismissive, of course they're going to react. Who wouldn't react hurt, angry, defensive? You know, yeah. that's, that's how, you know, but you know, when you work like we do closely with that population, they are the most generous, empathetic people <laughs> that are um, not proud of their situations. They still have their, they still have their pride, you know, and it's, it's not always, um, you know, like people have, have been talking about all through the pandemic. A lot of people have lost their jobs in their homes through no fault of their own. And what people don't understand is that a lot of the people who have been homeless, even before the pandemic, it was the same thing. It was no fault of their own. You know, a lot of people have a leg up and help and assistance throughout their life from family members. Tell me one person who is criticizing these people who did not get some sort of help from a family member at some point in time or a bank, you know, um, or even a co-sign on a loan. Some of these individuals just, you know, um, and I, and I mean, just being a portion of them, you know, might not have had that family support, but there are other people out, out there who have recently become homeless. You know, they are families with children, two working parents. Yeah. It's, it runs the gamut, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we, when we've put on, you know, events, you know, we've talked about how usually like at barbecues or whatever we've put on, you know, that we find that I think that um, usually the people that are coming that are homeless are wanting to give back so much when they come to our yeah. event, they wanna pick up garbage, they want to do anything they can, literally, they'll like find the smallest thing they can possibly find just to sh- because there's maybe yes. nothing to do, and they'll find <laughs> something they can do to show they help that they could help you, and it's because they appreciate what you're doing so much. And it's yes, just Tyler, yeah, that it's hard for people, I think, to to remember. Exist. They don't see because they they refuse to interact with them, and you know, it's it's. I mean, if they just spoke to a person, even if they couldn't help, you know, in any way, even if they have no help, you know, that, that person sitting by Walmart, you know, the, when you're driving out, um, holding a sign, if you could just talk to him for a moment, even if you couldn't really assist him, just talk to him as a human. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Say, I've, had, hey. I've had bad days, you know, where I'm just not in the best mood and I'll be walking down like the sidewalk or something. And the one person that day who will like say you look really nice or I really like that shirt or whatever it may be is usually a homeless person right it's amazing and it will make your day and it's like all these other people who have the things going on in their life don't even take the time to do that and it's just any person's day entirely so I it just amazes me that I don't think I've ever had anybody other than a homeless person just stop me on the street and just be like I love like what you're wearing or I love this or you're you look you know great dear have a great day just have a great day or something beautiful Tyler yeah (laughs) I mean yeah it's it they're they're just some of the most amazing people and when you get to know their stories and and like if somebody had just stepped in at this point in their life or this point in their life they you know were all that brink away you know from the car breaking down or you know uh god forbid a medical emergency you know um there's just, there's all sorts of factors and, um, you know, different variables that, that can happen. I think people are becoming more aware. I love that you're doing this podcast and, and, you know, letting people hear, um, 
there's just so many variables out there. Like who, who could even judge anymore? Honestly, it just, it's not, it's not right. Yeah. And if you just speak to these people and, and give them five minutes and treat them like a human with respect, you'll see it's completely the opposite of what they were, you know, perceiving yeah. or assuming <laughs> I should say. Yeah. And, and I think that probably brings us to a good point to kind of stop because we're um, going into stuff that I think we can definitely get into another podcast about, you know, the humanity and, and the population yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. But I, is there anything that you'd like to kind of wrap up with that you feel strong about or just want to get out there? Oh, I feel like I said a lot. Um, just that, you know, housing is a human right. That's, that's just it. And, you know, the name of your podcast and what you guys are doing, you know, humanizing homelessness is, that's the crux of it all. That's what we're all trying to do. And I am happy to support you in any way that I possibly can. (laughs) All right. Well, we really appreciate having you on today, Shannon. It's been great. Thank you, Nicole. Yeah, this has been great. All our conversations these last couple days have been really, really amazing, actually. Yes, it's been fun talking to you guys more. Here's a little bit about what Nicole Surfing and I had to talk about after our discussion with Shannon. The first thing that we talked about with Shannon was um, how close everyone is to becoming homeless themselves. And everyone's kind of on the brink. Um, And how it's easy for people to forget that. And we talked a lot about like the fear that people discuss or talk about with um, that they feel with having their homeless like in their area. But then we also talked about the flip side of like, well, imagine how scary it must be for the homeless people then um, when they don't have a safe place to go to. So I guess I'm kind of curious what, what our thoughts are on the whole, you know, community seeing people, you know, through both sides of things, I guess. Because we've seen a lot of discrimination around here. So I think it's pre- we pretty much, we know the fear that people see, but I don't think that it is an excuse for the discrimination. No, it's definitely not an excuse for the discrimination. There's nothing that can excuse them discrimination in my book we talked a lot about with shannon like that people don't just take the time to like talk to these people and i think that's a huge part of um why people don't understand where they're coming from i mean if it it doesn't take very much conversation to at the very least develop some empathy i mean you can pretty much talk to talk to any of these people for even just a couple of minutes even if it's your first time meeting them and they're not saying a lot to you, you start developing empathy right away because of just hearing part of their story. So I guess I feel like people, I don't know, need to find a way for that to be happening more. People need to hear like what's behind these people's like homelessness more. Okay. So if you don't, um, if you, if you don't want to stop and talk to somebody that's experiencing all this because you're afraid of them, then, I mean, maybe that means that, you know, you do it indirectly by um, going to somebody like us and, you know, 
donating or I don't know who knows what it may be donating a supply or a newspaper or something. I mean, I think that the, the hardest part of this, these first aspects that we talked about with her was that that breaking the barrier of people like thinking that there's nothing they can do to fix it. And we're not saying you can fix it all, but we're definitely saying that there's actions that can be taken to reduce people's it seems really hard for me to understand how people can um, completely ignore them, but I also really hard. I mean, I've helped a couple of friends and it is, and they were from like California and stuff like that. And it was basically impossible. I mean, I, I don't even know if the one friend of mine has ever gotten his birth certificate because of how, just how many barriers there were to him just like, getting it the numerous times he tried whether it be cost i mean it was like a, it was a lot more than 65 dollars to get it from oh California. yeah it was like a hundred dollars and something and that was and he, he had no money so i really don't think that he has i'm pretty sure he's been to jail about a hundred times for not having an id and that's just flat out ridiculous oh, that's, that is there are such things as victimless crimes I'm going to tell you this is a victimless crime to not have an ID. And honestly, victimless crimes should be off the books. You're not hurting anybody by not having an ID except yourself. And if you can't get an ID, why is it considered a crime? That makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, it's hard to understand. And... And oh my God, Sorry, yeah. it's so when, because you've got the legal side of like, you know, going to jail and getting tickets, but you've also got like the side of the job side, like we talked about with Shannon, that it is really hard. I mean, having an ID is a pretty big thing. And I think that there's plenty of organizations out there that could be certified or whatever you'd want to call it to like you know, do IDs. And I mean, there's no reason to have it be so difficult for to get at least your foot in the door. Um, but hey, it is. I mean, geez, I didn't realize how hard it is to get a social security card. I've never had to replace my social security card. It's like turning to shreds, but it's still there. And I don't know, have either of you ever had to get a new social security card? Or you probably have, Serafina. I have gotten... Not just the one for my name change, but I have lost my social security card so many times that I think they're only allowing me two left, which you're only allowed 10 social security cards in your lifetime. And I so I, I, huh? I didn't know that. Yeah, you're only allowed... 10 social security cards in your lifetime. If you lose them, you can lose them 10 times, then you're out of luck. It, it really is a ridiculous system. And I, like I said, I, I understand that police have to do their work, but do they really have to attack somebody for not having an ID or a social security card? Does that make sense to any of you two? Or even attacking them for not having a place to go to be? 
56 percent of some i think u.s cities or some close to that number have criminalized loitering or just like resting in a public place to some degree it's ridiculous yeah missoula has uh have you guys ever uh like I mean, laid in the park, just like not homeless, but just been out in the park and ever been disrupted just as a regular person, been told to like leave the park as just laying there. I never have as a regular person. No. I have never been asked to leave the park as someone who has a home. I have been asked to leave a park as a homeless person. I I, I have experienced homelessness in two cities in Montana. I'm telling you, Missoula's like cakewalk compared to Butte, but it is still not an easy process to be homeless anywhere, in my opinion. And I believe people have the rights to to just hang out at a public park or, or go down by the river. I, I mean... How is this hurting anybody? I don't get that. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I I just, it's just so hard for me to, I mean, I know people that have been, I mean, yeah, I just don't know anybody that has, that goes and lays in the park or sleeps, even falls asleep all day laying in the park, whether they're suntanning or whatever they are. But as long as you have a home or, or it appears that you look like you have a home to go home to, then, hey, it's all good. No worries. You can sit on that bench as long as you want to. And that's another thing, the way they do benches nowadays. Sometimes you need to sleep in a public spot because you are homeless and you need the sleep because it's not safe where you're staying or it's not, or you feel not safe where you're staying and you might feel safe on a public bench because the police walk by or something and you want to sleep on it but now they got those dividers on public benches where you can't sleep on i think that's wrong architecture oh i didn't i didn't realize that's even i guess i didn't even notice that and that that i now i'm realizing benches i've seen that that is a thing I mean, it's just so crazy. I And it's that way everywhere. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's something that we need to, it's kind of like a sociological experiment, go out and like count how many people, if we just put people out there who really don't have, um, or who, you know, have home, like say those three of us who have a home and make us look a little bit less like we do and go lay in the park and see if we get asked to leave and be like, I, you know, I mean that, I'm really curious what that would look like because I'd be willing to bet that it totally depends what you look like unfortunately probably would appearance and that's and that's the the scary part of this is like what you know the home the like when we talk about doing like a homeless bill of rights it's really not just a bill of rights for the homeless because if we establish those rights for for those groups and we say i mean we're just saying don't discriminate against against people just based upon what they look like or what you perceive their income to be or what you mm-hmm. their place to, you know, their bed to look like. I mean, that's all we really are asking. I mean, that's that's a pretty basic bill of rights right there. 
Leo says housing is a human right. <laughs> yeah, I think it sure is. I, I really don't think I could ever say I've been stopped on the sidewalk and told that I am like to have a just have a good day by a random person unless it's been a homeless person. I mean, I just don't. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do that all the time. I tell people to have a good day all the time. And I think that harkens back to my day of being homeless for three times in my life. And I think it, you know, just stuck with me to be polite to people and to be nice to people. And I think, you know, it it makes sense. I mean, it's, it makes sense that you would carry that with you. I mean, I do too. I, I actually, I mean, I actually make a point of if I'm walking like around town to at the very least smile at somebody if I notice, especially if I notice they're kind of having, I don't know, looking like they're having a day um, mm-hmm. just because it does make a difference. I mean, homeless or not, because I just remember being homeless and like people just ignoring you so much that you I don't know. Felt like nobody. Feel invisible. Mm-hmm. And and that's pretty. Fe- I mean that that just doesn't make it any easier. You know, if you're even trying to, you know, ask somebody for help, for even just taking a shower. Let's say you had a friend that lived in town that had a house, and you thought you wanted to just ask to use their shower before like an uh, a job interview. I mean, when you've been rejected by so many people even going to somebody that's somewhat familiar to you and asking to do something like use their shower. I mean, that becomes a task because the more you get shut down, the more everything like that becomes hard. Yeah. It's pretty damn hard to ask for help the more that you get shut down. And, and not just ask for help and like needing things like material things or whatever. Like handouts or anything, but just, an ear yeah something anything really yes even things you really actually need you know like you know you really really need Uh, either you're homeless or you have a home it doesn't matter people want to know that they're acknowledged and taken care of or somebody wants to take care of you know i think that brings a smile to their face too Feeling wanted, I think, is a pretty big, I don't know, it's a, it's kind of a basic human need. I mean, it is. we've all mentioned to each other that, I mean, how hard it is to get people that are experiencing homelessness to accept um, even a lot, bottle of water because they feel like they're, they're taking things taking something from from either you or somebody else or you know they mm-hmm. feel like somebody else could use it or or they just are afraid of what you might expect of them because mm-hmm. of I mean I don't think people realize how hard it is to literally go out and and let these people know that there's people that want to help them because they're so used to being turned down yeah I mean our barbecues and stuff, I mean, the pizza parties, every single time there's just been like unlimited number of people that want to just give back from that, from the group that we're serving. I mean, it's occasionally we have somebody that goes by an event that's not part of that community that wants to help us clean up or help us serve or donate or something. But I mean, it's, 
it, there's a whole lot more homeless people that want to step up and help than there are other people. I mean, it makes you wonder if a community was to give them an opportunity to take some ownership inside the community. Maybe uh, the whole general situation would turn around eventually. Actually, one thing, interesting thing I heard um, one client say was that his significant other, like, basically give them a place to live and, like, yeah, he'll be happy and he'll work still and do whatever. <laughs> but that she, it would give her a purpose to do a lot of things. Like it could change her whole life. Even if she doesn't go to work. Yeah, it gives her something to yeah. take care of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because <clears throat> she has, because she's not able to work, but it gives her still a purpose to life. Like, so it still has a Keep the yard neat, house clean, garden, mm -hmm. have a place to do crafty things. And it's safer, so you just tend to open up more. Yeah. Like do more things you be you able know. to volunteer. Mm -hmm. Feel able to volunteer, actually. Yeah. Because your energy is not spent surviving. Oh. Yeah. It's a nice feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why. So I keep. It's interesting when people say that and like everyone wants to hear what's what else there is because it's hard to offer that. So there's about 20%, 20 to 30% of the, uh, of the whole homeless population is like mentally ill. So that's, if you consider like just taking that 20% to 30%, so we'll say a third of all the homeless people and put them in housing first, I mean, that would be a good start. Yeah. And then if you took two thirds, cause you took all of the, the people with either substance use or mental illness and hit about two thirds, then you, you could put a lot more people, then you use that as your like decision-making like, you know, bar, then you can take two thirds of the, Just looked up the uh, numbers of empty houses or properties to homeless population in the U.S. And since 2010, it's increased 43% to 59 properties per homeless person. 59 empty homes for each individual without a house. Hmm. Wow. It's interesting to think of like... So, I'm. I mean, even if somebody chose chooses like I don't want to rent a apartment. I mean, there's some people that literally don't want any stuff. I mean, I know some people that have died, went their whole lives. Not very many people, but that literally had no stuff. I mean, except for like four things, like a hot plate, a recliner, and like that's it. A TV, maybe or a book, mm -hmm. and they'll die that way. And so, like. I guess it's interesting that we actually define, I mean, it's not written, I don't think <laughs> anywhere per se, but like we define how much of space you have to own to like basically be a human here. Cause it's like, I mean, not necessarily own, but I'm not own. I mean, rent or, mm -hmm. or own. <clears throat> I 
you can't just be like, oh, I don't want to own anything. So I'm just going to buy a tent. Like, okay, well, you better rent a big piece of property though. I mean, there's not really, there's, you don't really get an in-between option. You don't get to live just minimally. Like that's not an option, but you have to pay for it. If ever, so I think one thing that people forget is that there's like a lot of different, we, <clears throat> what's your name? Uh, Shannon kind of goes like into it a little bit, but there's like different types of homeless people. Uh-huh. Not that you should categorize it because everybody's like on a spectrum of like different things on different, depending on what you're looking at. But in general, you know, there's definitely some categories of people that you could label like you have kind of the ones who, and this is what I've collected from the clients too, is that you have kind of people that for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. They're working and they're trying to do whatever, but they just don't, can't make enough money to get a house. They can't, for whatever reason, they're homeless, but yet they're doing everything anybody else like mm-hmm. out there possibly could be doing or is doing, or maybe not even doing. And so, and I'm not saying they're all should be working. Some of people probably shouldn't be working, but then you have, people who for whatever reason can't or aren't working. And so they are trying to constantly keep track of their, their stuff. That's where I think the drop-in centers come in because that's where we can like be like, okay, you know, join with the pod and be like, we can offer that though, like that service because right to the like intersection adding like groups and just like activities all that is definitely gonna give the people that time but in an environment where supports like right there readily available so as soon as they're ready for it they just like grab a hold of it numerous times in the podcast we've talked about substance use disorders so and we've called it by its acronym and by its actual thing so that's one of the clarified that SUD is substance use disorders and in contrast to mental health issues. We started to talk about um, disorderly kind of acts on the street and we'd heard that from a lot of people that it's just a matter of giving people something to do. And so that's where we are talking about the drop-in center comes into play because we can't expect places like the POV to fix all issues, supervise them and everything they're doing and give them also and help them find work and all the everything. Mm-hmm. So where the drop-in centers come in is that kind of middle piece of get a place to stay. Maybe some of them have some chores to whatever may be there is the limited stuff that they're able to do with their staffing. And then we're able to come with our staffing and do things like, um, like those random tasks to just give them something to do, whether it be arts and crafts or like games or, just yeah work groups or anything we it may be mm-hmm. um there's an intersection like right there where drop-in centers come into perfect play oh we talked so we didn't really so we didn't say this but we started talking about how there are some groups of people who shouldn't even even if they are working probably shouldn't even be working right yeah. there's there's like people that shouldn't even like yeah, that basically are doing more than they should have to like survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the groups of people that I thought of is the elderly population or people with like nursing home level care. And so I was thinking that would be for people that 
you still might find some of them even working, but that doesn't mean that their body is like able to like stand that. Mm -hmm. And they're definitely not getting any better um, doing it that way. Yeah, the elderly is one group of people that I think it's just amazing that they're shouldn't be like old and be out so some of the things we talked about and that we've heard about being huge issues that we said we could definitely address throughout the community in um, coming weeks is going to be I mean, some sort of locker situation for people to store their stuff mm -hmm. showers which trying to figure out ways that we can get creative about getting people showers um, on a more as needed basis and um, I think it would be really cool if we could somehow acquire one of those trucks with the showering capability, mm. 50 something gallon tank or whatever it is. Thank you for listening to Humanizing Homelessness podcast. We'll see you every other week. We post on Wednesdays.